your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, guests, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Welcome, everyone, to our show today. I have been asked quite frequently in the last couple of weeks to really do some shows focusing more on food. That's my background, and that's what I originally came into the autism world doing is having a big focus on food, and I have shifted so much in the last three or four years and my thoughts and my belief systems towards food. And you hear a lot about the gluten and casein-free diets and, and SCD diet and all the different diets that are out there. But today, I'd like to take a little bit of a spin, and what I'd like to do is talk about a lot of other things besides gluten and casein that could be potential problems in your diet, in your child's diet, anybody's diet, really. But we want to—we don't always like to focus on the negative, and but this is, these are good things to be aware of when really trying to customize your child's diet. So I couldn't find anybody better than the, my guest here today to help me for this show. Her name is Susan Vess. And she is a wonderful diet coach as well as the author of my favorite cookbook, Special Eats. Um, she does a lot of dietary consults. Thank you for joining us, Susan. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. We are actually here together, which is kind of fun. We, uh, we're, we're very close friends, and we have a lot of fun in each other's presence. So we're actually in the same room at the same time, which is something I rarely don't do. I usually meet with my guests over the phone. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this today, even though it's kind of a scary subject. Um, these are these are important facts, and, and I promise you the next show will keep on more of a positive upbeat. Actually, Susan, I think... What I'd like to do for some of our some future shows, one of one of Susan our favorite books is we love the world's healthiest food book. It's, it's a fabulous book. It's by George. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. I, I call it Maitland, but I'm probably saying it wrong. <laughs> Regardless, it's a huge index of all different kinds of food. So I think we're going to do a couple shows in the near future on taking apart some of the healthiest foods to eat. But we need to talk to you about today are some things that may be causing potential problems. Now, a food can bother you for many different reasons. One of the main reasons that you hear about in the autism world is for the, it's really, it's kind of a lack of enzyme problem. And that's what you hear about with the gluten and casein. Dipeptidyl peptidase 4 is the enzyme that breaks down gluten and casein. Without that enzyme, we don't break it down and it creates this opioid effect. But the lack of other enzymes can be causing problems as well, too. So if today we're going to talk about foods as if you take no supplements. You know, I always recommend taking enzymes and things such as that, but let's talk about what kind of foods are filled with enzymes that help us break down our, our, what we eat every day. You think about our stomachs, and, and, and the pancreas is, secretes 
a, uh, an enzyme that helps everything kind of break apart and break down. So what if you're not secreting that enzyme? Um, what foods could you be eating that can help you digest things naturally? Well, you're looking at things like pineapple and papaya. Um, they have natural enzymes that are going to help your food digest a little better. Exactly. Now, pineapple, something that I just learned recently, the, the enzymes that are in pineapple are mostly concentrated in the core, the part that we throw away. I didn't even know that until my um, diet guru, Beth Vandeboom, told me that one. And she, um, she says you always want to eat the core of your pineapple. Sometimes it can be kind of tough. Well, uh, one way to get around that is uh, you could cook it Oh, you yeah. Could, you could but also, that way you'd kill the enzyme. Well, that's it? true. But you, could, you know what? You could juice it. Right. You could mm-hmm. cut it up and put it in a juicer. You know, when you cut up your pineapple, right. slice right. the whole thing in in slices and cleaning yeah, that corn. Pineapple juices can be you – know, I'm very down on juices because they add so much sugar without, with adding very little nutrition, but pineapple juice can be – Well, a, only, if you, only if it's freshly it's fresh. juiced. I mean, right. not what you buy in a can – Right, not a can. You can get some bottles that are not heated, as long as it's not heated or hasn't been warmed. But it's very hard to monitor and know if that's the case. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. If it, if you don't juice it yourself, you're yeah, not gonna have the enzymes. So so let's talk about enzymes in all of our foods because all of our foods have a certain amount of enzymes. Beans, for example, if you don't soak them, um, you have a hard time breaking those down, and that's why we would encourage you to buy raw nuts and raw. Beans, because if you soak them, you help release the natural enzymes, making them more digestible. So can I just say yeah. something about that? Maybe you want um, oats away. Oats are typically not allowed on a gluten and casein-free diet. However, they now have these new certified gluten-free oats that are available. And I, following this GFCF diet, I really wanted oatmeal, but you need to soak it. So if you have a rice cooker, you can set it up the night before you go to bed. You can put in the the oats and the water. It soaks all night, and most of the the rice cookers have a timer. I set my timer for nine hours. I went to bed. I got up in the morning. I had my, my grain had been soaked for nine hours before it was heated and cooked. I had enzyme-rich oatmeal that was ready for the day. Cool. That's a great idea. And so getting those enzymes, releasing those enzymes is something that we want to think about. And that's why you don't want to overcook your foods either. Um, microwave, forget it. You put something in a microwave, you kill the enzymes. And you've really got to start coming to that to terms with saying goodbye to the microwave for anything that you use it for. It's a big waste of space in your kitchen that you could be filling with something a lot more productive. Um, you know, even getting a space maker toaster oven can be a lot more productive than any sort of a microwave that you can put something to reheat it in. But um, you you want you don't, you want to heat foods minimally in order to keep the enzymes, and that's why juicing also could be another way. But but what Susan said before is really important. If you juice, you need to drink it right away because. If you want the antioxidants to be there, the longer it's sitting in oxygen, the longer, the, the more it's going to um, kill the antioxidants. So the rule is two or three hours max. So you don't want to juice if you go to the go and pick apples this time of year, and you want to have some great fresh apple juice or pear juice or whatever type of juice. You juice it and drink it. You don't juice it for the day or the week or whatever. You're going to juice it and use it right away. Yeah as you can. All right, should we move on to the next sure. area? Let's, um, 
Let's talk about yeast and bacteria or parasites. Let's talk about the foods that harbor those things. And we're we're already educated pretty well in the autism community that um, the things that are going to fill to to increase yeast are things like your sugars. But we have to go one step more. And uh, you know, high fructose corn syrup is going to kind of fall into the next category, so I, I don't think we're going to focus, we're going to, let's hit that after the next piece. But let's talk about yeast, bacteria, and parasites. What, what really is feeding those? Yeast is going to be filled, uh, is going to be fed by any type of a, of a sugar. However, certain sugars are lower glycemic. So what that means is that if, if, if it takes a longer time for it to, it doesn't shoot up the insulin so quickly is probably a better way to say it. Do you want to right. explain it better? Okay, so the high there are foods that are high, medium, and low glycemic, and and the glycemic index is just a measure of how quickly a food will rise your blood sugar, and and when your blood sugar rises, it affects your pancreas because of the stress, um, secreting lots of insulin to help your blood sugar normalize. So we want to. It doesn't mean that you never get to have foods that are high in the glycemic index, but you want to to have more on the low to medium. Exactly. And, and there's ways that we can balance that out that we'll go into an, another time. But, but sugar in general is going to feed yeast. It's going to feed parasites. It's not, it's not a good thing for us to do. So if we use the lower glycemic sweeteners, for example, agave syrup, which is sweet without raising your blood sugar, and agave syrup is honey-like. It's sold where you buy honey health food stores and the natural sections. It's a little sweeter than sugar, and you can cook with it. It dissolves in cold water, so it's a great alternative to sugar. And that's one of my favorites, but there's also tapioca syrup, rice syrup. You can use those. Maple syrup is a little bit more on the medium end as well as instead of the low, but maple syrup is great, and you can get granulated maple syrup, which makes it great for cooking um, right. as well, too. Which and, it, and it has enzymes, which help, right. help you digest the sugar and, and minerals, too. There's right. some minerals in there, too. Um, bacteria and parasites... So, so bacteria-feeding foods are going to be in the sugar family. Oh, you know what? I need to talk about vinegar for a second. Vinegar. Oh, sorry. Say vinegar. Don't I'm just forget going that. ahead of myself here. So vinegar is a huge feeder of yeast. Now, um, a lot of times you'll hear Susan or I or a lot of great nutrition experts that will talk about fermented foods. And um, in today's day and age, we think of fermented as possibly like you know sauerkraut, but they don't make sauerkraut the way they used to. Sauerkrauts used to be fermented with salt and with good enzymes that would help it. They would have these starters of enzymes that would, or, well, or bacteria. Really, it's, it's the natural probiotic that, right. that is formed by, by allowing it to ferment with just salt and cabbage. You don't right. have to do anything else. Right, right. And you, there are, like, body ecology diet sells some packets that are, introduce good bacteria to it that will help add even more beneficial bacteria. But the way that they're making sauerkraut in many places now or any fermented foods is by basically using vinegar. It cuts the process, doesn't have to sit very long, and that vinegar is strongly going to feed um, the gut bacteria. Now, people think, well, my child doesn't eat vinegar or I don't eat vinegar, but you probably are eating in places that you don't even think about, things like ketchup. Mustard, mayonnaise, uh, mayonnaise, and pickles. Um, those are all very high vinegar-rich foods that you might need to be avoiding. And and there are some 
there are some ketchups that are right. better than others. Yes. For example, the brand West Bray makes a fruit juice sweetened ketchup that is low on the glycemic index. It's lower in vinegar. It still has vinegar in it. And West Bray also makes a totally sugar-free version. Um, without the addition of any artificial sweeteners. So Great th- those are, I mean, our kids are going to eat ketchup, and, and if we just want to steer clear of the high fructose corn syrup and the ones that are so full of sugar and vinegar that that's all they are. So with back to, we have a couple of minutes until, well, like one more minute until we go to break, but I want to talk about bacteria and parasites before we break. Um, bacteria were going to be, it's also going to be fed by a lot of the same things that feed yeast. So you're looking at the same things, but corn is really big at feeding bacteria. If you've got a child or you are craving corn, and I, we're going to talk about high fructose corn syrup after the break, but a lot of corn, a lot of corn products, um, those are really going to be an indicator that you may have a very high bacteria level. Okay, we'll take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about corn as well as high fructose corn syrup. We'll be right back after this break. Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. In the realm of mental health, psychiatry is often misunderstood. On Good Psychiatry is Good Medicine with host and forensic psychiatrist Dr. Ron Kennedy Bailey. Find out the truth behind the myths, rumors, disparities, and misconceptions about the broad spectrum of mental illness and treatment options. Dr. Bailey educates and informs with truthful, factual, honest, and direct communication of information regarding mental health issues and topics to further enhance the overall medical and legal areas in the healthcare. For the best information on ADHD, psychopharmacology, forensic and psychiatric health concerns. Tune into Good Psychiatry is Good Medicine with Dr. Ron Kennedy Bailey every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. And we are talking about food and some of the things that you have to be careful with with food. We're just talking about uh, the bacteria piece and talking um, to corn. We're going to touch on that in just one minute. I want to say real quickly about parasite, Susan, because we didn't have a chance to finish on that, that um, parasite problems are very big, especially if you're living in the South. And nobody likes to think that they have parasites, but if they are faced with parasites, there are a few symptoms that you can look for. Now, you can do a stool test to see if you have parasites, as you can with yeast and bacteria. But the thing with parasites that's tricky is that they're cyclable, which means they only tend to surface at certain times. And that means that if you do a stool test and it doesn't show you have parasites, that doesn't mean you're clear and free. It just means that they weren't active at that time. And that's, and that's also true with yeast and, and some bacteria, but um, parasites one that a lot of people don't think they have. Now, parasites love sugar as well and all the sweeter pieces, but they also love the nightshade vegetables. You may have heard of a lot of people that deal with fibromyalgia. When you're dealing with fibromyalgia, frequently that's that joint pain that kind of goes throughout the body. A lot of that can be related to parasites. So they recommend that you take out the nightshade vegetables. The nightshade vegetables are potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, and the peppers. So those are some to be watched of. It, as, as goofy as it sounds, parasites do tend to be activated around the full moon. We just had one. Goodness knows I was very irritable on this last full moon. <laughs> Susan contested contest too. Um, but uh, if you do find yourself irritable, your child extremely hyper or very itchy around the, the full moon, that's a good sign that parasites could be a problem, especially if the anus area is very itchy. Um, so you might want to be cutting back on those foods. But let's let's go on. We have so much to talk to you about that let's go on to the, the high fructose corn piece because that's something we really want to you to get out of today. If there is one food that we can try to talk you out of uh, or ever, having. ever having again. <laughs> high fructose corn syrup is it. There is nothing redeeming about it except for the, the way that it lines the pockets of the manufacturing companies. It is it is bad. It's it's bad because of the the bacteria and the yeast, but it's it's also it's a chemically altered food, so it it really has become like a neurotoxin, tremendously neurotoxin. But one one way that was explained to me that I thought made it very under, understandable to see is you know you think okay, but it's it's natural. So the body, if it's, it comes from a natural source, the body knows what to do with it. But let's use the same analogy to a glass of wine versus a glass of rubbing alcohol. They're both coming from the same source. They're both alcohol. They're base, base of alcohol. You would never even think of drinking the rubbing alcohol, even a sip of it, because your body doesn't know what to do with it. It's it's converted to a form that your body cannot recognize. And that's exactly what the case is with corn, high fructose corn syrup. The way that it's heated, the way that it's chemically altered, is at a point your body has no idea what to do with it. So what does it do? It stores it as fat cells. It's the leading cause of cholesterol, of the high triglycerides. In our, you know, you can say, oh my gosh, how come my cholesterol is so high? Because I don't eat. These shrimp foods. and butter and eggs, which are wonderful foods for you. But, but, yeah. but you think of animal products that are going to raise your, your cholesterol 
high fructose corn syrup is the number one leading cause of the rise in the bad cholesterol, the triglycerides. You need to take it out of your, your, your system. And, and actually, as you become eating a more whole foods diet, I'm not talking about the store whole foods, but I mean a whole, eating foods that are whole, you'll, you, you won't have to run into high fructose corn syrup. I, I don't really I don't, I don't run either. into it much myself. You don't either. I don't either. But, but we're cooks, so we like to cook and we like to make things from scratch. So if you're buying packaged things, you need to take an, a, a, a look for it. If you are a soda drinker or your child's a soda drinker, there are steps you can take to get them off of drinking the soda. The first thing is to get them off anything with high fructose corn syrup and move into sodas that are made from sugar. Now, I'm not saying that sugar is great for you, but it's a heck of a lot better than high fructose corn syrup, and it's not so addictive. High fructose corn syrup is highly addictive because that bacteria just screams out for it where the sugar is not so addictive. So you'll find yourself or your child drinking less of it when you switch over to sugar. It's really important that you become a label detective. You have to read those labels, and you have to read them over and over again, even though you think, oh, my gosh, well, last time I bought it, it was fine. But but you don't know when they food manufacturers change the way they produce things. One of the areas that I find the, the high fructose corn syrup in is um, I happened to be at my brother's house, and we were making some – we needed some chicken stock at my house, we'd go to the freezer and pull out some, some right. chicken stock. So they had some bouillon cubes and some powdered, um, oh. um, and, and all of them had dried high fructose corn syrup. So it's not just in the the normal sweet things, things, like not sweet, sweet things. things. Yeah, yeah, it right. is there, and it's very invasive. Yeah, it is. And, and, and so, so set yourself a goal. Uh, if, if one thing that we can ask you to take out, and that would be it. Now, there's a lot of other chemical foods that we would like you to be more aware of. One of the hardest ones is MSG. And the reason that it's hard is because... They don't say MSG. <laughs> exactly. It's not labeled. But the other thing is there's some versions of MSG that are more digestible than versions. I mean, if you're getting the powder, you think of the powdered MSG that they add to Chinese food as a flavor enhancer. They add those to McDonald's chicken nuggets, and all of those things have like a, a powdered MSG that's added to them. But there's other foods that naturally have MSG in them, which makes it very difficult. Like sausage. Yeah, even a natural sausage that that doesn't have any MSG added, you'll see no MSG, or they'll say no nitrates other than naturally occurring. Right, and the, and also, um, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank right now. With the MS, but with the MSG, you have to get some good lists of where you're. Oh, soy sauce. That's what I was going to say. Soy sauce is one of the other ones that's very very high in natural occurring MSG. And, and soy or excuse me, um, MSG might be an ingredient in something that says flavoring spices. Um, Anything that's an enhancer. If you see the word enhancer, that's a good right. Good and, and so yeast extract. Yeast and, and the um, the vegetable proteins, um, hydro, hyd, hydrolyzed vegetable proteins, yes. is going to contain MSG. And the thing is that it's in small quantities, so they don't have to claim it on the label. So if you need to know whether there is MSG in a food, call the manufacturer or email the manufacturer and ask them. 
they will have to tell you them. Now, you may be asking, so what is MSG actually doing? Well, MSG, for one, it does play tricks with the brain, but it really affects neurotransmitter activity and how you're able to process and think. A lot of people are very well aware of MSG because they'll get headaches immediately after having it. And it's very hard when you're dealing with a child that may be nonverbal to know that these headaches may be stemmed by the food that they're eating. But it's something to just be aware of. Um, you started to talk, Susan, about sodium nitrates and nitrites and what those can be. And um, there are there's a, there's a lot of controversy in that, too. But I think one of the easiest rule of thumbs by, for, for understanding that is that any meat that stays pink without being frozen, really, right. is going to have these chemicals that are very, very dangerous. In fact, on the, on the nitrate website, it even says that these chemicals can, can cause severe reactions, including death. And, and burns to your skin. It does. And burns to your skin. That's another good one. So I love the way that we eat something. We eat a small enough amount that it doesn't burn us and poison us. But Something I want you to understand from all the things that we're talking about today is that you need to stop Stop trusting the, the FDA of making sure that foods are safe. This is so important because the FDA may test individual ingredients, and they're not really that concerned because basically, depending the way lobbying goes and the way undercuts of money go, just about anything can get passed this day. And the way that they'll come around is they'll say, well, we test this ingredient and this ingredient, and they're fine. The problem is what they don't test, and they're not laws to have to test, is what happens when you put them together. When you take, um, we're going to talk about uh, artificial sweeteners, but when you take something like aspartame mixed with a red food coloring, mixed with a nitrate or mixed with an MSG, and you put that together with high fructose corn syrup, the combination of the four of them together could intensify 100, 200, 300% as to what it's actually going to do as damage into your system. So you have to be concerned about these foods that are just completely loaded. Okay. Should we talk about, um, let's talk about, if we're talking about chemically altered and undigestible foods, right. let's talk about artificial sweeteners. Yeah, artificial sweeteners are the, are the worst. They are neurotoxins. They will kill your brain cells, period. So the, the whole concept between that the government has approved these and lets them be put not just in diet foods but in, in other foods, I don't think that I think there's like maybe one or two chewing gums that doesn't have an artificial sweetener in them, and I don't mean those that are that say sugar free. All the ones with sugar, they add the artificial sugars because they enhance the taste and they give it that more addictive quality. Right. It, even salad dressings and things like this are loaded. Now, there, there's kind of a hierarchy of dangers when it comes to artificial sweeteners. It kind of is like what what, um, what long-term chronic illness are you shooting for, and that's how you can choose your artificial sweetener because they're all going to create a different reaction in your body. So you, you know about saccharin. A lot of people are aware of saccharin and the cancerous piece of saccharin that's it's been made aware of for a long time. And a lot, I don't even know anybody who eats saccharin anymore. But let's talk about aspartame and how tremendously dangerous this is and what it does to your brain because it actually produces a runoff of methane in your brain. And what it does to your neurotransmitters is why a lot of people suffer from headaches and, and um, it, it causes all kinds of immune suppressions as well. Now, 
aspartame should never have been passed. And the story behind aspartame is really a very fascinating one, even though we're about to go to break. Hopefully I can finish it. Aspartame was, for 20 years, tried to get passed by the FDA. It was never allowed to be passed. And then Donald Rumsfeld came into power, and the first thing that he did is he hired the president of J.D. Cyril to be able to take over, and the first thing they did was to pass aspartame as an artificial sweetener. Called criminal prior to that. So it is, this is something that is not something we should be ingesting at all. We have to go to a quick break. When we get back, let's talk a little about the new one, sucralose, and all the attention that Splenda is getting. We'll be right back with Susan Vest. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute. And the main issue, to sum everything up, is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies. And we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Tired of those fad diets and exercise routines that you don't stick with? Want to find a better way to incinerate fat and energize your life without those worthless pills or gimmicks? Then tune in every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific to Fitness Truth with hosts Zach Hunt and A.G. Roberts. Achieve your weight loss and fitness goals and maintain them for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. That's Fitness Truth, Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Living Your Power with host and intuitive counselor Diane Brandon breaks down the old traditions of taking what life gives you. Living Your Power teaches you how to have a life of success, happiness, and fulfillment. How to live your power, feeling vibrant and confident. Tune in Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern to Living Your Power on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You've got to believe. Listen up. Conceive Magazine is now on the air, live, and on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Hosted by Kim Hahn, founder of Conceive Magazine. Conceive On Air offers comfort and emotional support to women contemplating starting or expanding their family by consulting noted professional experts and by sharing the insights and experiences of others. Kim wants to share her experiences to educate and empower women. Conceive On Air is the only complete resource destination that inspires and informs future moms about their fertility on the journey to parenthood. Conceive On Air with Kim Hahn, celebrating the creation of families. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 866- 
472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. Back. All these wonderful things you need to know about food. And we've been talking about artificial sweeteners, and we first talked about the dangers of saccharin and aspartame, which is NutraSweet. Let's go into the big one now. Everyone's hearing about Splenda, and everyone is hearing about Splenda is a version of sucralose. It's been called the natural sweetener. What a joke. <laughs> it's made from sugar dough. Yeah. <laughs> I hear this everywhere. And they're like, but it's only just one molecule off. Well, unfortunately, that molecule belongs to the molecule of chlorine because uh, because that's what it is. Sucralose is chlorinated sugar. It's basically bleached to the point of killing off the calories, but it keeps the residue of the chlorinated product, the bleach, within what which is in it. Now, as I was saying earlier, if you want to deal with, it's kind of like pick your chronic illness. If you want to have a lifetime of problems like Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's and you want to have a problem with um, uh, autoimmune diseases and things such as that, then, you, then aspartame is, is your bet. But if you want to have gastrointestinal problems, Start pouring chlorine bleach into your stomach every day like people are doing with the diet sodas now. It's horrible. I mean, it's good for me because I get lots of referrals from the gastroenterologist (laughs) for people who need new diets and need to cure their gut. But for those of us who want to get healthy and stay healthy... It's terrible, and it is out there, just like she said, in so many different areas. Um, xylitol, let's talk uh, briefly now. Xylitol is mostly now, it used to be derived mostly from um, birch, Birch. but now I've been told that they're deriving most of it from corn. Um, Regardless, it it has a, uh, it's probably the lesser, like if my children want, uh, want some chewing gum, they ask me, you know, which one can I have, and I'll, I'll be more towards xylitol than I certainly would for aspartame or sucralose. But um, it, 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 once again, it depends on it's being derived. But the thing is, I'm so at a point of not trusting the big companies anymore. You know, I'll go into a health food store, and the companies that are producing something with xylitol there, you know, I feel like at least I'm hoping there's a little bit more of a conscious behind it. I don't know if, it, if I'm, I don't know if I'm falsely hoping myself. Well, we all do. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I, the, 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 as far as xylitol, there's just too much mystery in it right now because they're not, they're not producing it the same way they used to always from the, from the birch tree. So other chemically altered foods that I think we should be concerned are, are, are anything that is multicolored, so the artificial colors, um, yes, things, things that glow in the dark naturally, <laughs> you know, the, the Skittles and, and all of those foods. I hear people so often say, well, it's gluten and dairy free. Well, it may be gluten and dairy free, but it is full of Petrochemicals. Right. And made from coal tar. All of those artificial colors are made from coal tar derivatives. And so I I strongly recommend that we avoid those. You know, this really, I I always, when I give lectures, Susan, I always say, no matter what your religious denomination is, no matter where your higher faith power is, if you really look at this from a, from almost like a, a biblical standpoint, why do we somehow think we can chemically make food better 
that God naturally gave us to us. Yeah. I mean, it really is a, a silly thought when you think about it that we can say, you know, we, we're going to genetically modify our food, we're going to chemically alter it, we're going to put all these preservatives and, and junk in that were never naturally meant to go into our body. And we can say that, you know, we know better than what was naturally put on this earth for us to eat. It's absolutely silly. Okay, there, and, and I'll tell you why. Please. Um, the tell reason me. that... that and it's not a not a good reason, but the reason that those chemicals were created is to extend the shelf life, which is good for manufacturers' bottom line, and also to allow some consumers to to get their dinner on the table really fast. And and I don't mean cooking; I mean reheating. They want to go buy something in the store that's already prepared, and all they have to do is turn the oven on and heat it up, or worse, put it in the microwave and heat it up and say, I just cooked dinner. That's not cooking, but, but that's, why, that's why all of those chemicals were created, to extend the shelf life, to get it to the market faster. That's why genetic modification came around. Right. And, and so all of these chemicals are really meant to be conveniences and, and not in a good way. You know, they're not the conveniences that, we, that any of us need. That's a, that's a very good point, and I think that's something we need to talk about right now because I know there's a lot of people listening that are saying, but I'm not a cook, I'm not a cook, I can't do this, and this is something that Susan and I like to talk about and like to help people with because you can do this. It's just a matter of getting organized and how it's going to happen. The other thing that I tell people is, you know, when I'm – when I, I I know Susan's as sensitive as I am, and when we eat something that's not good for us, we really pay the price later, which is why we, we, we are strict with what we eat because we, we, want, we, we know what it feels like to feel good. And I know that when, I, when my son was younger and I knew nothing about nutrition and I really felt lousy all the time, how hard it was to pick myself up and get in that kitchen and to cook another meal. Yeah. When you start feeling better, when you start eating better, and everybody is acting better because they're on a good diet and, and your children are more responsive because they're on a good diet, the, the, it changes the whole vibration of the home and everybody starts feeling like they want to eat healthy again. And then you get that motivation and then you kind of like start in a spiral. It seems very overwhelming to have to enter out, out of the chemical-free world into a homemade cooking type of world, but it took me a decade to get to where I am. So it's not that you have to do it overnight, but if you can take little steps at a time, you're going to get there. And, you know, you don't have to become the, the Bon Appetit gourmet chef. You know, just if you start thinking, instead of, instead of buying a processed lunch meat, make a meatloaf. You know, meatloaf is, is one of my favorite things I tell almost every new family to start making meatloaf. Meatloaf is a good place to hide vegetables. You can cook meatloaf in the crock pot. You can cook it in muffin tins so it doesn't take all day to, to cook. And, and, and you have a good protein that you can hide some good vegetables into. You don't have to buy a frozen meatloaf that's loaded with, with chemicals to, to have a good dinner. Yeah. That's, that's true. Meatloaf is a good place to start. I, I love meatloaf. I'm hungry. We should have eaten before the show. <laughs> and, and using your crock pot. You know, I mean, people think, 
that uh, the crockpots were a thing of the 70s, but, you know, the crockpots of today are programmable. They come in different sizes. They have great inserts that you can pull out. You can line them with uh, with parchment paper and pop out whatever you, you know, if you're making a meatloaf, you can line it and then pull that meatloaf out. But but if just throwing in some meat and vegetables and sticking it in a crock pot is going to come up with a good dinner, whether it's chicken or beef, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it's good. And start start teaching your kids how to cook. Um, I think kids really do enjoy being in the kitchen, but it they they, they and they like making things from scratch. They, they like they totally do. It, my my pickiest eater. That's how I got him to eat was to have him help me cook. Because you know kids like to stir a pot or stir a bowl of something. You know they they may think of stirring the bubbling cauldron or whatever. It doesn't matter if they're in participating. They they want to try what they made. Yeah. Yeah, Jessie made dinner the other night. I was really impressed. It was it was good too. She did a great job. So, get, getting into the kitchen and that will help get the chemicals out. Um, since we have some more time here, should we talk about pH balancing for a while? I would love to. Why don't you Why don't you lead that? Well, the pH balance. So often, the typical American diet, because it's so high in carbs, is very acidic. And and what I mean by that is we eat so many foods that have zero nutrients, you know, the chips and salsa or or just chips and chips, you know, that that don't that don't give us our body anything. Our body becomes very acidic. An acidic body is breeding ground for disease, for cancer, for all kinds of bad things. So our goal is to balance our pH, to have it be anywhere between 6.5 and 7.5, 7.5 being more alkaline and 6.5 going in the acidic direction. And and you can do that by buying some of those strips. They, they sell them at drugstores. They sell them at grocery stores even. Or you can go to the Feel Good Food website. That's Deborah Page Johnson's website and look at her book, The Feel Good Food Guide, and she'll give you some direction there. But my point is that you need to know where you're at. Start out with a baseline and say, okay, I know that I am a little too acidic, so I want to eat more alkaline foods. Alkaline foods are, not surprising, vegetables, fruits, those dark leafy greens, things that we've been talking about that are really important for us to eat. The acidic foods are are things like anything that's prepared and and proteins can be very acidic too, which is why it's so important to balance our protein, carbs, and fats every time we eat. So I test my, my pH with my urine, which is the easiest and most accurate testing for at home on a regular basis. And and I am always in the right range, well, almost always in the right range. <laughs> There are those times that, for example, I remember on Mother's Day I'd made a great cake. And, of course, it was cake. It was sugar, but it was gluten and dairy-free, but it still wasn't health food. And I was really anxious to see what that did to my body. And so the next morning I did check, and I was very acidic. And so I ran into the kitchen and made my breakfast of sautéed greens and and. My family thinks that I am so weird because I eat green for breakfast. But it's 
absolutely the best thing that you can do for your children, for your family, to start either eating a salad or some spinach or sautéed greens or kale or Swiss chard. Absolutely the most nutritious and best way to introduce alkaline food into your body in the morning. Now, one of the ways that I've been able to do it for my children, because I, you know, it's just... Oh, t- I think we're going to take a break. You know, let's let's take a quick break. When we get back, I'll talk about how we can get, how, how how we we can get these greens down um, our children because I have some good ideas as to get get greens for kids first thing in the morning. We'll be right back after this break. With, we'll be right back with Susan Beth. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. I am back here with Susan Vest, and today's topic is on foods and the foods we need to avoid and the foods we do need to have as well, too. And we were just talking about pH and the kind of the range where we need to keep our um, our blood level so it's not too acidic, not too alkaline. It's pretty hard to be too alkaline too alkaline, especially our kids rarely run too alkaline. But one of the ways that you can help your body be less acidic is to have a lot of greens in the morning. So what what I'd like to talk about is some ways you can get greens down your children. Now, um, my kids, I I make a lot of sausages for breakfast because I really, honestly, if I could find a sausage that I like, I wouldn't have a problem buying it. I just haven't found one that I like enough. Um, And... Because they have chemicals and stuff and additives. But even even the ones in the health food stores, they just 
they don't have enough of the right flavor for me yeah. that I really am looking for. And Susan taught me about making my own sausage, and we make a sausage in our cooking video that the two of us released together called um, Cooking, Cooking with, with the Seasons. <laughs> Cooking, like, Cooking with the Seasons. It's a great DVD. You can buy it on uh, Susan's website or my website. Susan's website is specialeats.com. Pathways' website is pathwaysmed.com. So you can buy it either one of those places. But... Um, one, making homemade sausages is a great way to get greens down. Why is that? Because I chop a ton of parsley and put it in the sausages I make for our family. It's a great way and an easy way to get down the greens because it, it adds a great flavor to it. If I don't have parsley, I'll use some kale or something like that. But it's or Swiss chard, spinach, any, of, any greens can be chopped up and they're masked. I mean, I think that they add a good flavor, but your kids don't feel like they're eating spinach for breakfast. Right. And they're getting the benefits of that. Now, does spinach and Swiss chard work? Because I would think they're too watery. I mean, because kale and parsley are not watery, so you can chop them in and they really don't add too much. They're, they're fine if you, you don't want to buy frozen spinach that, right. that's going to be watery. But if you use fresh and you chop it up and you add it, okay. it's fine. All right, that's good to know. Um, the other thing that I make on a frequent basis for our family for breakfast is... I, I love Indian food. It's one of my favorite cuisines, and I've learned to love it even more learning about the spices that are used and how wonderful they are for the immune system. So I've been trying to deal, work more into a, a gluten casing. It's not hard to stay gluten-free on an Indian diet, but they, they do use a lot of yogurts in some of the commercially processed foods for Indian foods, but you can make things yourself very well. And one of my family's favorite is um, making dal, D-A-L, and it's like it's a lentil-based type of uh, having the lentils, so I I chop a ton of pol- uh, cilantro and put that in there. Sometimes I'm out of cilantro and I'll use once again I'll use parsley or kale or something like that. But um, having some sort of a bean dish for breakfast with some greens chopped into it is it something else? Because I know that if in the morning my stomach cannot handle much fluff. I, I, you yeah. know I I need something relatively. Um, just dense, but yet not too overpowering. And the doll is very—it's a big comfort food for me. You know, one of the reasons—one of the reasons that you may or may not know—is that I talk all the time about how important it is to have protein, carbs, or fat. But lentils are high in fiber as well, and and they have good fat and good protein in them. So when you have something like that, it it keeps your blood sugar low. It also satisfies you so that you're not hungry an hour later. So giving your kids something like beans for breakfast, as strange as that sounds, is going to help them do better in school because their brains aren't going to be hungry ten minutes later. And it's so affordable. I go to the Indian grocery store. I buy different types of lentils because when you make dal, you're supposed to use about four different types of lentils. It gives it all different types of flavors. And so I keep them all in these airtight glass containers, and I take a cup out of each one, and I make this whole thing, and and, and it it stays good for a good week. I use my own chicken stock to make it as well, too, which, which is a fun way to do it. You don't have to use homemade chicken stock. You could use water. water, But I like the flavor of the chicken stock. And some good Indian spices and things like that. Some people put coconut milk in it, which Mm -hmm. will add kind of a creaminess to it as well. So um, it is is a good, good way to start the day. But, Susan, you made a a really good point during the break about, because we were talking about um, her grandchildren and then my children and 
um, you know, I want you to know that my kids were not great eaters. My kids were Velveeta, macaroni and cheese, gross candy eaters, Schwann's man <laughs> type eaters. And it wasn't until I started learning about nutrition that I switched them around. So it's not as if you may say, well, they're never going to eat that way. And if you're strong enough about this, if you believe enough in this, they will start to model you. And, and that's the thing, that, that we have to walk the walk that we want our children to be following. You have to model healthy eating. You can't say, this is good for you, but I'm going to have my bowl of Cheerios, you know. You have to be eating kale for breakfast. And, and I just had my 9-year-old granddaughter visiting me, and one of the days for breakfast we had sautéed kale that I added some tomatoes to because that makes a, kind of a nice little sauce with it, and turkey bacon. She thought it was wonderful, and I was really thinking I was pushing the envelope. And kids will eat it if they see you eating it and enjoying it. But if you have something and you go, ooh, what is this weird thing, you can be sure that they're going to say the same. Now, I know that sometimes you've got the cards stacked against you when you've got a spouse that doesn't want to eat healthy. And that can be really frustrating because you could be modeling a good behavior and your spouse is not, and then it makes it hard to stay, keep the child on the diet. However, if your child is aware enough, what they are going to be aware of the fact is that the spouse, the parent that's eating the healthy foods looks, feels, and acts a lot better and is happier, and is happier than the parent that's eating the not. And you just point these out. You know, throughout the last 10 years, every time they don't feel well and I can contribute it to food, I just make them aware of it. I don't blame them or tell them they're horrible, but I say, you are aware that you ate this and now you feel bad. Exactly. And, and you, don't have to, you don't have to go any further than that. Just leave it at that. But then eventually over time they start identifying that certain foods make them feel bad. It was so funny. I came home yesterday and Jessie was having a hard day and she was crying. And the first thing she says is, Mom, I swear I didn't eat anything bad. <laughs> because he probably knew that was the first question out of my mouth. Yeah. That's funny. That the kids, kids in school really have it harder because they are really subjected to a lot of bad eating habits of their classmates. Oh, so huge. that that is a really big thing for kids to have that peer pressure of eating goldfish crackers and and skittles with their lunches. The lunches that my daughters are telling me their friends eat are very disgusting and very very scary. That this is actually happening, you know. Um, but I think it's very very interesting. I know I've said this on previous radio shows, but when my daughter was in grade school. She was constantly made fun of her lunches. But now that when she hit seventh grade, I don't know what the magic was with her. Maybe it's just with her with seventh grade. But when she got into seventh and eighth grade, all of a sudden the kids just started coveting her lunches. And they, you know, they go around her and they say, can I try that? Can I try that? Because the thought of homemade food is such a wonderful novelty to many of them. And they yeah. start paying attention to it at that age. And all of a sudden they want to. I love to go into the schools and bring healthy choices for these kids because the schools will say, well, they won't eat vegetables. Well, no, they won't eat the vegetables you're giving them because the vegetables you're giving them are disgusting. They're not organic. They have no flavor. They're overcooked or they've been sitting in a refrigerator for weeks on end. They have no flavor left in them. Yeah, Yeah, the kids aren't eating those. Right. I mean, when when I hear from... I remember my children and hear now from my grandchildren what's served in a school cafeteria. It's criminal. It's not good, healthy food for children. Okay. Okay, so we have covered the pH balance. It's just so important to keep that 
that alkaline diet in place. Hope you continue to do this and all of the other things, the chemically altered foods, the yeast, the bacteria, the lack of enzymes, all of this will lead to a much better diet. We appreciate you joining us today. We will be, I'll be back with you next week. Have a nice, healthy week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, the conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.